0: Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 6 and the message entitled, Worship the Father. Paul has expressed his gratitude to the Father for the benefits and salvation in verse 3. There we saw the source of salvation. That's what he was so grateful in his expression. As well as the sufficiency of salvation in the sphere of salvation. Remember, All three persons of the Trinity are involved in the process of salvation. Verse 3 through 6 is the Father. 7 through 12 is the Son. And 13 and 14 is the Holy Spirit. Each are given praise for their part in salvation. Verse 6, 12, and 14. Once again, keep in mind that verse 3 to 14 is one complete sentence in the Greek. Paul indicated God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Verse 3. The first blessing presented was the doctrine of election in verse 4 through 6. That's it's all, all grouped together by three things. The proclamation of election. The explanation about election, and the exaltation for election. The first point, the proclamation of election, was marked by three things in verse 4. The one who did the choosing, the time of the choosing, and the purpose of the choosing. The second point in verse 5 pointed to the explanation about election and it was described in three ways the manner of our election the purpose of our election and the means of our election now comes the third point the worshipful admiration of the Father for His part in salvation consisting in three things let me read here verse 6 To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us acceptable in the beloved. Paul just worships and admires the Father for his part in salvation, which consists of three things. First, the provision of the Father for salvation, the first part. Second, you have the appropriation by the Father for salvation. And thirdly, the limitation by the Father for salvation. The provision, the appropriation, the limitation. He begins with the provision of the Father for salvation. Listen to his words. To the praise of the glory of His grace. The Apostle Paul indicated that the response of a believer towards the Father regarding salvation should be that one word praise. Simple, short and to the point. The word praise, as you know, means exaltation, approbation, or commendation. The phrase to the praise does not indicate purpose, as some people indicate, but rather the result of being saved. This is the response that goes back to the Father. The idea is one of expressing thankful appreciation and adoration by a sinner from the heart in the worship of God the Father for saving him. The word praise appears 11 times in the New Testament in this form. Seven of the 11 refer to God and the gospel. Three of them are found here in Ephesians in the first chapter, verse 6, 12, and 14. Now notice, this is not a natural response, but rather a supernatural response, having been saved, having heard the gospel of salvation, the good news from heaven, the power of God unto salvation as He initiates salvation through that gospel. Having been convicted of one sins, And the hostility towards God that each of us held. The Holy Spirit revealing the sins of man, both public and private. You remember hearing the gospel? Feeling the conviction? All of a sudden you saw yourself as you really were for the first time. And yet others preached the gospel, shared the gospel the other times. And it just kind of rolled off your back like water off a duck's back. The Holy Spirit revealing the need of a person to call on the name of the Lord in repentance to be saved. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And having been forgiven of their sins by repenting, becoming children of God, sons and daughters, the sinner obtains faith by hearing the word of God. In Romans ten seventeen. faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So God always initiates again through the preaching of the gospel. The sinner calls on the name of the Lord to be saved. That's human responsibility. Romans 10:13. This praise, notice, looks back to the good pleasure of his will at the end of verse 5. His reciprocal looks back. God having chosen us before the foundation of the world. The doctrine of election is biblical. But the doctrine of unconditional election, according to Calvinist or Reformed theology, same thing, is unbiblical. So you want to make sure you understand election the way the Bible teaches it, not the way human Calvinist theology teaches it. Having been predestined by God to be a adoption of sons, the doctrine, again, of predestination... Is biblical. But the doctrine of predestination according to Calvinism. Is unbiblical. And I reject it altogether. God having no compulsion. As an obligation to save us. Did so. It says according to his good pleasure. It just gave him joy. It just brought such thrill to him. God's good pleasure, as we pointed out last time, expresses the kindly intent, delight, and satisfaction of the desire of God. This phrase appears nine times in the New Testament, twice here in Ephesians, in um, verse 5 and in verse 9. Notice the origin of God's good pleasure is His will. What the Father wishes or determines to be done sovereignly. You and I have a will. Before we were in Christ, we did as we would. Our standards, our morals, our ethics all varied. God's will is perfect, holy, just, good. There can be no evil in it. So, sovereignty indicates the purposes and inclinations of God as a self-determinant being who does as he wills, when he wills, to who he wills, as often as he wills while never, ever violating his own attributes or the will of man. That we can't understand that makes no difference. The fact is, God forces himself on no one. He gives free will. He gives choice. God's sovereignty is in harmony with His foreknowledge, as we pointed out. In all His perfect attributes manifesting His perfect wisdom, making every decision absolutely just because He is omniscient, all-knowing. He can learn nothing. And always having the benefit of mankind in mind. He's so different than us. Some commentators have the otherness of God. (laughs) He's perfectly holy. Perfectly just. Therefore, God could not have chosen some sinners to be saved over others by his sovereignty and be just due to the fact that both are sinners deserving of his wrath and of his judgment. So God's choosing must be just and not contrary to his attributes. It's simple. You can't just say, well, God chose a few and rejected the remainder because he's just sovereign. What does that mean? If his sovereignty demonstrates injustice I can't just use sovereignty I have to reconcile that. Therefore as we have pointed out election and predestination cannot be contradictory or a contradiction to human responsibility and man's free will but rather complementary, election and predestination, free will and human responsibility, two parallel lines. And whenever you lean to the one at the expense of the other, you will end up in heresy. I can't reconcile them, but they're both biblical, according to the definition of the Bible, not according to the definition of Calvinism. I repeat that, like it is so imperative to understand that today. Listen to Ephesians 1, 11, and 12. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance. Listen, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. That's God's part then that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. You have both of them side by side. You can't ignore them. Notice the Apostle Paul specified the praise is to be of the glory of His grace. The word glory, as you know, doxa, in our context here is in the sense of the idea of splendor or brightness that belonged only to God. The Old Testament, you saw the Shekinah glory in the tabernacle or the temple, and people, the priest had to run out when it was filled at the dedication with Solomon. The Hebrew word has the idea of heaviness uh, with great dignity and honor, um, the presence of God. The Greek word here in the New Testament uh, and this has a similar idea, being um, of the supreme uh, magnificence, the excellence and splendor for which God is praised as a result of salvation. The praiseful worship over the glory of His grace is over His Splendor, His greatness of love and what it stands for in our salvation having saved us. So Paul the Apostle just the very way he did it the very aspect of what it consists of once you're saved and you realize what he's done the only response and result that can take place is that you worship him. Because of what's it's done to you. How it has transformed you. How it has changed you. The relationship that has brought you to in relationship to God. One who is holy. With one who used to be the epitome of sin. Being one now. Amazing. The Greek scholar Lensky gives... His insight and this phrase, the glory of His grace. Listen. He says that the first two nouns, praise and glory, are without articles and are practically a compound. The glory praise. The glory and the praise of its center in the great attribute of God's grace. We behold the grace in its activity and thus praise it. Grace is one of the operative or communicable attributes of God. It is always wholly undeserved by those who receive this grace or any of its gifts. In fact, grace, as distinct from mercy, connotes guilt in the recipient. Mercy connotes misery, the result of guilt. Thus, grace is associated with pardon. We are declared righteous by grace, but mercy relieves our distress. Romans 3.24. So this incredible grace, it declares that I'm guilty. But because of grace and what it's provided, it can make me justify before God in repentance. There's the miracle. The entire doxology here of Paul focuses on his praise over the glory of God's grace. Grace. Careless is grace, unmerited favor bestowed upon a man or a woman that is undeserving. Sometimes we think, well, you know, I got you know, I, I I saved by grace, just like anybody else, but I mean, I wasn't that bad. No, you weren't that bad, you were horrible. One sin is enough to render me crispy critter before God's holiness and righteousness see we think of sins in measure degrees and quantity now God will deal with that aspect of it and punish people accordingly but sin is simply living as you are a sinner falling short of the glory of God We are sinners. We missed the mark. We're not perfect. We're imperfect. Grace is God's benevolence without meeting any prerequisites of worthiness or payment in return. Through grace, God saves man motivated by his love. Grace consistently describes God's favor and graciousness towards man. Grace stands in complete contrast to the law of Moses. The law says you must be perfect. So Paul says the law accuses me. It pronounces me guilty before God. All have fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one righteous. No, not one. Grace conveys beauty and charm, giving joy to the hearer and the beholder, the Greek scholar wisp declares. It puts you in awe. I've shared with, this with you before. God does all this fishing in the sewer. But once He cleans His fish, they don't stink. You want a scripture for that? Listen carefully. Acts ten fifteen. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. That's when Peter's up on the rooftop, and God lifts the screen of all manner of creeping thing. He's a good Jew of unclean beasts. He says, "Take kill and eat." And he says, "Not so, Lord." A complete contradiction. If he's Lord you only have one answer, yes, yes. In Mexico, growing up, and even when I travel Latin countries, people are respectful and, and they have social gracious, and an older person, or even one little um, older than them, and they call upon them, or they call their name, They say, Señor, si, Señor, mande, Señor. In other words, yes, I'm at your service. Order me. What can I do for you? If we do that to men on earth, how much more to God? It's only one answer, yes, Lord. No cannot fit in our vocabulary. The Psalms are filled with expressions of praise to God. Listen, Psalm thirty, verse four: Sing praise to the Lord, Yahweh, you saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holy name. Psalm sixty-nine, thirty: I will praise the name of God with song and will magnify Him with thanksgiving. Psalm one forty-five, two: Every day I will bless You and I will praise Your name forever and ever. Psalm 150, verse 6, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. After discussing the marvelous grace of God over the election of the nation of Israel, over the nation of Edom, and how God will ultimately save the remnant of Israel, Paul clearly distinguishing... Israel from the Bride of Christ, the church, um, as he addresses Christians, um, is very clear. He first warns the believer, listen carefully, in Romans eleven twenty two and 24. He says, Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell, severity, but towards you, meaning the Gentile, goodness. If you continue in the goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, meaning the Jew, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut up of the olive tree, which is well by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into the cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the Jew, our natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree, and then Paul exalts the praise of God for His just omniscience regarding the way He did all this with Israel and the Gentiles, and how He never violates His holiness or the free will of man. Listen, Romans eleven thirty three to thirty six. He says, "All the depths of the riches." Both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? And who has become His counselor? Or who has first given to Him? And it shall be repaid to Him. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. After Paul sees how God works salvation out. All that he did. And how he's worked it out. He's just in awe because He never violated His holiness. He never violated anybody's will. And He will be just when He judges both Jew and Gentile. Amazing. Each of us should give thankful adoration and praise to the Father for our salvation. In verse 12, here of chapter 1, the Father's part that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. The Son's part, he says, who is the guarantee of our um, inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Um, speaking about the Holy Spirit's part. Um, in uh, or, or the Son there. In verse 11 it says the Spirit being filled with the fruit of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory of the praise of God. So all three of them as, we, as we've seen. Um, Philippians 1 11 speaks about the Holy Spirit. And, and many other portions. Uh, um, all three intricately tied together regarding salvation. So the provision of the Father for salvation is to, is to result in the praise of... Of the glory of His grace. We should be so in awe of the grace of God. He's so magnanimous. He is so incredibly benevolent. He is so, but never violating His holiness. Again, because the wrath of God was poured out on His Son. It was a real legal transaction that justified God. In accepting you and accepting me as a child of God. Notice secondly, we have the appropriation by the Father for salvation by which He has made us accepted. The Apostle Paul indicated the relationship of the grace of God in our salvation. Notice the focus of Paul is still the grace of God. The phrase by which is literally in in which referring back to his grace. The grace of God is the means by which we or anyone is saved. The benevolent means by which no one is excluded. All can be saved if they repent. And no one can take the credit once they're saved. Now notice the means of grace is the ground by which the Father made us accepted. There the word accepted is, derives from the same word for grace. Literally it means freely bestowed. God has graced us making us the object of grace. The word appears only one other time when Gabriel came to Mary if you remember as we were in the gospel of Luke in chapter 1 verse 28 he says rejoice highly favored one there it is the Lord is with you blessed are you among women highly favored one Paul says it is according to the riches of his grace in verse 7 notice the attribute of God's grace is found throughout the Old Testament. Often people start with the New Testament that teach about grace, but that's a great mistake. Listen carefully. Genesis 6, 8. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Exodus thirty three seventeen, The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing to you that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Exodus thirty four nine. Moses entreated for Israel. Then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff necked people, and pardon in our iniquities and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. The basis of the plea was grace. Psalm eighty six fifteen, God is full of compassion and gracious. Psalm 116.5, the Lord is gracious. Amos 5.15, the Lord God of hosts will be gracious, says Amos. Jonah 4.2, Jonah tells God that it was because he knew God was a gracious God. That's why he ran away. Jonah did not run because he didn't know God. Jonah ran the other direction because he knew his God. He knew God would forgive if people repented. He didn't want the Ninevites saved. He didn't want them to repent. The attributes of God's grace also permeate the New Testament. Let me just give you a couple here in the book of Acts. Acts 4:33 and with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all great grace only one time in the new testament Acts 11:23 when Paul came and had been had seen the grace of God he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue in the Lord Acts eleven twenty three. Acts thirteen forty three, the church continued in the grace of God. Acts fourteen three, therefore they stayed there in Encodium a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Acts fourteen twenty six from here. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the works which they had completed. Acts fifteen eleven, the first church council. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Grace is the common greeting throughout the New Testament letters. Grace, the result of grace is always peace. You never find peace and grace to you. It's always grace and peace. In the pastoral epistles, where there's a lot of heresy and false teaching, you have grace, mercy, and peace. (laughs) The triplets or the twins. But grace is always first. The word grace appears 156 times in the New Testament. 12 are in the book of Ephesians. Now, notice the Apostle Paul indicated the object of the grace of God for salvation to be man. Grace is not made available to fallen angels. They cannot be redeemed. That means they cannot be forgiven. They weren't made for salvation. Fallen angels cannot be redeemed. They are not created in the image and the likeness of God, like man but are spirit beings, Genesis one twenty six and Hebrews 1.14. They're ministering heirs uh, to, uh, to the heirs of salvation. The lake of fire was prepared for Satan and his angels who follow him, Matthew 25.41 says. The lake of fire was never made for any man. And yet, men and women will be there by choice. Fallen angels are of two classes. Demons that need to possess a body and those that do not need a body. So demons are fallen angels. Fallen angels are of two bound ca- categories. Those that are permanently bound in Tartarus, as Second Peter says, they're so vile they're, they're never let loose. And those that are temporarily bound. Those in the Euphrates rivers and in the Abuso. That will be let loose during the great tribulation. You see grace is not made available also f- for animals. They die and they cease to exist. Yes they will, there will be animals in the kingdom age. In the thousand year reign. But nothing is said about the eternal abode. Now, that bums up some people out that worship animals. Well, it it shouldn't, okay? We are creating the image of God. Animals are not. Animals are for pets and for food and for clothing, okay? And it depends what category they're in and what happens to them. Um, Be kind to your animal. Take care of them. um, But don't worship them. I don't want to hear about you flossing their teeth or brushing their teeth, okay? Or taking them to the doctor getting a hospital plan for them and stuff like that. Um, Putting a coat on them. That's why they have fur. If you had fur, you wouldn't have to spend money on clothes. You'd be all right. Grace is available only for fallen man. No one else. Grace is extended to sinners who repent from their sins. Acts two thirty eight, the day of Pentecost, over three thousand were saved. Grace is the source of salvation. We are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. He tells us in Ephesians two eight and nine. Grace is the source of our justification. Romans three twenty four. Just as if you never had sin, justify. Wow, grace is the source of our calling to the ministry, Galatians 1.15. Grace is the source of our spiritual gifts, Romans 12.3. Grace is the source of our strength, 2 Corinthians 12.9. When I'm weak, then I am strong. Paul says, I most glory over my weaknesses, for when I'm weak, I'm strong. The grace of God is immutable. It is all sufficient for all sinners. It never diminishes. That's what the word immutable means. Stop and think about all the sinners. We have no idea how many have repented since the beginning of time. Since Adam. Adam was the first sinner who repented. And Eve. All of the sinners, Adam to today, if we could add them. And you put all those sinners to the grace of God, and the grace of God has not diminished one iota. Wouldn't you love to have a pen like that, an eraser like that, a gas tank like that? <laughs> it's immutable, it's sufficient, it's efficient. Today, As much as it ever was before. The grace of God is described in the New Testament as follows. Great. All abundant. All sufficient. Glorious. Rich. Undeserved. For sinners. Manifold. Or multicolored. (laughs) The grace of God is to be acted on by way of command. To the believer in the New Testament. Listen carefully. We are to stand in grace, Romans five two. We are to abound in grace, second Corinthians nine eight. We are to speak with grace, Ephesians four twenty nine. We are to be strong in grace, second Timothy two one. We are to inherit grace, first Peter three seven. We are to grow in grace, second Peter three eighteen. The grace of God is warned against in the New Testament to the believer. We are not to abuse the grace of God, Romans 6.1. We're not to frustrate the grace of God, Galatians 2.21. We're not to turn from the grace of God, Galatians 5.3. 4. That's a warning to believers. The appropriation by the Father for salvation is to make us acceptable in grace. Grace alone. Notice thirdly, he gives us the limitation by the Father for salvation. Listen to the words. In the beloved. The Apostle Paul indicated, notice, the only sphere of grace for salvation in the beloved. The preposition in speaks of the only source of life a dependency for life those believing in Christ that are intimately connected with him in if you're in the building you're within it if you're in the house in the car there's a sphere that surrounds you you're confined you have a sense of protection the preposition in appears a hundred and sixteen to one hundred and twenty times in the letter. The various names as we've noticed and titles and combinations of the names of Jesus include the pronouns appear twelve times in the first fourteen verses. The phrase here speaks of a complete unity and oneness to the crucified and glorified Christ regardless of all other differences that we may have be they racial cultural, gender denominational having broken down the middle wall of partition Ephesians 2.14 Paul says neither Jew nor Gentile, Scythian, Barbarian, Male Female, Bond or Free. Paul did not allow the culture to shape the gospel Paul said the gospel transcends culture Today the sin and the heresy of much of the church Is that they are culturalizing the church They're trying to make the gospel culturally relative To the people, lowering the gospel, bringing it down to where people are at. So you have people living in a sinful way and still calling themselves Christians. And if you dare to make a judgment or to call them out on the carpet, they call you self-righteous, legalistic, unloving. Weird things are happening in the church today. It speaks of their position in Christ by their new birth. Saints and believers by the imputed righteousness that's been given to us by the Father in view of Jesus Christ. Throughout the epistle, there are synonymous phrases stated. In Christ, in Him, in whom, through whom, by Him. All referring to Christ. He is the bullseye. When we were over in Turkey, um, and we were doing some discipling over there uh, in Istanbul, the women went to the bazaar to go shopping on some stuff, and we got done, and I went to one of the gates, and I was sitting there, and they've got shops all over, it's huge. But where I was sitting in one of the of the gates there, um, there was a merchant there, kind of guy maybe in his mid-30s, coming out, hey, buy this, it's not, nah, it's okay. And, and he says, um, are you American? I said, yeah. He says, well, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a Bible teacher. He goes, oh, you're a religious man, you're a holy man. I said, no. Nah. He says, well, he says, you know, uh, there are other holy books. I said, No. Nah. He looked at me like that. He says, what do you mean? I said, you ever go shooting? (laughs) I said, how many bullseyes does the target have? One. All the rings outside the bullseye, they're insignificant. There's only one bullseye, only one God who came to die for us, Jesus Christ. When I go shooting, I am at the bullseye, not the rings. He goes, oh, interesting. <laughs> He's Muslim. It's him and him alone. No one else. Very, very limited. God is the most closed-minded, narrow person in the universe about salvation. He will not budge. And he doesn't care if you don't like it. He's not losing sleep because he doesn't sleep. He's not biting his nails. We are sealed with the Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 We're members of the household of God. Ephesians 2.19 We are gifted according to grace. Ephesians 4.7 were to be filled continually with the Spirit of God. Ephesians 5.18 All because of Christ. The saints are set apart and devoted to God. Throughout the scriptures. Where sanctification means to be set apart. We used to be set apart for sin, for ourselves, for what we wanted. Now we've been set apart for the will of God. For the purposes of God. Notice the Apostle Paul identified the sole person then. In channel of grace. The beloved. Or beloved. The way we want to pronounce it. The beloved is God's love gift to sinners. The connection for the grace imparted to the believer. Paul notice pinpoints the designated person that gives a believer access to every spiritual blessing in Christ by the grace of this mediator that he mentioned in verse 3. A mediator is a go-between between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. No other mediator, Mary cannot speak for you or access for you. Peter can't do it. The pope can't do it. The priest can't do it. But you as a Christian can intercede for other people in prayer. You as a Christian can intercede in prayer for a loved one or a friend that's not saved that God would soften their hearts. God will listen to you. He will honor your prayers. While not violating that person's free will. How does that work? I don't know. Some things God will do only through prayer. Other things he won't do. Uh, uh, he'll do without prayer. I don't know which ones they are. So I just pray as I'm commanded. Jesus is called the son of his love. In Colossians 13. The phrase... And the beloved here identifies their connected position again by being born again because they have believed the gospel. Those who believe Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead for their sins making that atonement their own. I believe what God says that he died in my place. I believe what God says that he justified me before God. And that if I call upon him, I will be saved. Resulting in being a new creature. A child of God. Those who were formerly in Adam, dead in trespass and sins, separated from God, are now in union with Jesus in Christ. Regenerated by the last Adam, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 45. That makes me engaged to Christ Jesus, Ephesians five twenty seven. You are his bride. You're supposed to be keeping yourself waiting for a wedding. He gives you a white garment so you can wed him and be married to him. He says, You be faithful to me. You be looking for me. I'm coming. The word beloved, agapau, is another phrase to indicate Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. Literally, the one having been loved, the Father and Jesus are one, as you know. They both are eternal. They both are involved in the salvation of sinners. And the personal and loving expression is confirmed in the New Testament. Listen carefully. Matthew 3.17, at the baptism, it says, And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. On the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17.5, While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. the word beloved is a verb in the perfect participle and the greek scholars tell us it reaches into the past and extends into the present and into the future jesus was obedient to the will of the father in the garden in luke 22:42 not my will but your will be done and he sweat as it was Drops of blood. And the anxiety. And the stress. Jesus was obedient through the things that he suffered. Hebrews 5.8 tells us. Jesus was obedient to the death of the cross. Philippians two, 5 through 11 tells us. For that reason. A name has been given to him above every other name. And at the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is is Lord Jesus the Lamb of God laid down his life of his own accord John 129 John 10:17 and 18 you see the father drew a circle around the son of his love, For there's fear of oneness. All sinners in the beloved have been brought into that circle by the Father and the Son. All sinners are seen in the beloved by the Father and are in the fellowship with the Father and the Son. And the Holy Spirit. The wealth of the believer is based on the riches of His grace. Christ. Ephesians 1.7. 18. 2.7. 3.8. 3.16. (laughs) 5.19. No one else. Listen to John Newton. The slave trader. Who was converted to Jesus after having lived the life of the lowest debauchery. And who consider himself the chief of sinners, like Paul. He declared, When I get to heaven, I shall see there three wonders. The first wonder will be to see many people there whom I did not expect to see. The second wonder will be to miss many people whom I did expect to see. And the third and greatest wonder of all will be to find myself there. The grace of God. God's attribute of grace is only channeled through the person of Jesus Christ. It can't be made any clearer throughout the New Testament as well as the Old. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld its glory. The glory as the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no lie in Jesus. Everything he said, everything is recorded. You can depend upon it for eternity. John 16 says, and of his fullness have all we receive grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. John 1.17 But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Ephesians 4.7 Grace is imparted by the age of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, who Jesus would send in his own name. To testify of Him. And He is called the Spirit of Grace. Zechariah 12.10 Hebrews 10.29 Peter puts it this way. Therefore gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully. Upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the salvation. Or the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.13 Peter again tells us we are to grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3.18 John the Beloved closes the book of Revelation saying, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So be it. Revelation 22, one. Grace closes the New Testament. Grace opens the New Testament. And between Matthew and Revelation, you got a whole bunch of sinners who have believed the grace of God. Wow. The limitation by the Father for salvation is confined to Jesus, the dispenser of grace. And so... This is the worshipful admiration of the Father that we are to express for His part in salvation. Consisting of the provision of the Father for salvation is to result in the praise of the glory of His grace. The appropriation by the Father for salvation is to make us acceptable in grace. And the limitation by the Father for salvation is confined to Jesus, the dispenser of grace. Man, Paul just pouring it on the Ephesians. <laughs> Remember the first three chapters? Your wealth in Christ. We are wealthy beyond our imagination as Christians in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. Father, thank you for your goodness, your love. We pray you deal with our hearts and we so thank you for your grace, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would just continue to use us, that we might proclaim your word and that your grace would knock upon people's hearts, Lord, that they might open and invite you in. And so, Lord, we thank you for your goodness. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Maybe you're over the internet. If you don't know Jesus Christ, then right where you sit, you can ask him to forgive you. If you believe Jesus is God who became man, died for your sins, and rose from the dead, then the Bible says you can call upon him and be saved. And he will forgive you for your sins. And he will give you a new life. And he will give you his spirit. He will give you his mind. And he will lead you from day to day. Only you can make that choice. That decision. No one can make it for you. If you believe you're a sinner, it is by the grace of God tonight that you understand that. If you believe all that I've said about Jesus Christ, that's the grace of God. Now you can call upon him if you want. In this prayer of repentance. And right now he's going to save you. This is your prayer to him. Father I come to you in Jesus name. I ask you to forgive me Lord. For all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.